center and coming in is Bloom. Millendike centered it. Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, let's get this hour underway. It is Monday, October 30th with Aaron Vickers of NHL.com. It's Pat Steinberg along with you. Welcome to the Sports Drive brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Save $450 on the Braun EV5922 gun safe. Now just $1450 or explore the full line of safes at Calgary Lock and Safe. Dot com. Hello, Vix. Patrick, what's shaking, buddy? Not much. Uh, if, uh, full disclosure, uh, Vix and I, um, along with Eric Francis, we had... Who uh, pulled rank and got shotgun. He did. He drove up with me. Yeah, and so I, I think, didn't fight it. I didn't fight it. If I knew you were coming back with us, I wouldn't have kept the golf club. But hey, we all kept it Flames Talk fam because I went up with Wes Gilbertson. That's true. Came back with Pat Steinberg. Probably an upgrade on the way home. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> It was, uh, it was a good drive home. Uh, we're back in Calgary after the 2023 Heritage Classic. And Flamestock is underway. This hour will be on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, live right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. It's time to go inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. This hockey season, support local. Find your all-time classics and locally brewed beers. Visit your local Calgary Co-op wine, spirits, beer today. It is a loaded question. I understand that, and I understand that there may not be a definitive answer to it. I'm sure there are going to be lots of different answers that we get on the text line, which I'm very uh, happy to engage and hopeful to engage on this Monday. But that loaded question is, how the hell do the Flames get more out of their two highest paid players? How do they get more out of the $17.5 million duo that is Jonathan Huberdeau and Nazem Kadri? How did they get more out of two of the forwards who are supposed to be driving forces of this team's offense? And in this case, I guess the question is not just more. How do they get way more out of Huberdeau and Kadri? And I asked that question without a definitive answer myself. I don't friggin' know. I really don't. And I don't know if you know. I believe there's going to be plenty of options on the text line. And and I just want to give you an idea, at least in, in my twisted head, about where this has gone. For, I would say, I don't know, my entire time doing post-game shows and taking calls, when people have called and said, bench player X or put player Y in the press box, and I, we've heard it all the time. Sometimes it was Johnny Gaudreau when he was struggling. Sometimes it was Sean Monahan when he wasn't going well. I've I've gotten Jerome McGinley, got a bench Jerome. Like Ooh. I going all the like I've I've heard it all. Like there's there's always been that at different times. And my refrain typically is, I mean that that's not going to work. That doesn't make any sense. Like that's not going to send the right message. Well, when somebody brought it up on Sunday's post game after the Heritage Classic, like for the first time ever, I was like. I don't know. Maybe you do do that. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I do not know what you can do to get more out of these guys. And that's why I asked the question openly without an answer. And, and I guess rhetorically, how the hell do you get more out of these guys right now? They have seven points combined in nine games and they count for $17.5 million of Calgary's cap right now. They, they, the Flames have to find an answer. Luckily, you and I are not charged with finding the answer to this. That's 
on Ryan Huska and Craig Conroy and Jonathan Huberdo and Nazem Kadri. And I know that Ryan Huska has been very, very good at, at deflecting and saying it's not just those two. And that's true. It is. There are other issues on top, just those two. But when you sign an $84 million contract and when you sign a $49 million contract, that carries with it expectations on the outside, fair or not. And the question has to be asked, how do we how, how do we see the Flames get more out of these two guys? I love that you said that you maybe perhaps were asking this question rhetorically because I don't have a definitive answer. This one is most certainly outside of my pay grade. There's two schools of thought that I can come up with. One is force feed them all the ice time you can and have them work out of their funk. I imagine that one's not going to be super, super well received (laughs) on the text line. I'm not necessarily saying that's the way to go about it. I'm saying that's option one. Option two is the exact opposite. Less ice time for those players and divert that ice time to players that are pushing harder. The biggest message sender a coach can have, the biggest cookie, if you will, if uh, is that a was that a Bob Hartleyism? So, yeah. Is ice time. And you can either go the tough love route or the we're going to work through this together route. And I don't know which one is going to work. I don't even I don't even need I don't even know if one will work for one player, one will work for the other player, but as you mentioned, 17 and a half million that's ballparking somewhere around 20% of your cap split between two players that have how many points combined? Seven? Seven. That's that's not ideal. And it's the biggest cliche in hockey. Your best players have to be your best players. Make no mistake about it. They're Calgary's two biggest difference makers when they're on. They're not on right now. That's not a secret. That's I'm not pulling something out of thin air. I'm not misinterpreting something I'm seeing on the ice. These two players in particular are paid to produce and paid to help the team win. And I don't necessarily know which route is going to get one or the other or both back on track at this point, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, and and that's that's the problem is that I, I honestly do not know what the answer is here. I, I would love to be able to give a, a great answer and say, well, it's very clear that Ryan Huska has to do this, or Craig Conroy has to do this, or Michael Backlund has to do this as the cat. Like, I don't know. I, I honestly do not know what the best way to go about fixing this is because it has to get fixed. We know that, but that's so why I, I came up with a few just brainstorming. Ooh, I like this. And we'll read we'll we'll read some text for sure. Do you try? And I know that people are sick of the uh, the line juggling. Do you try putting Jonathan Huberdo on Michael Backlund's wing? Do you give that a try with somebody else? And I know that the Flames are currently loath to break up that trio of Backlund, Coleman, and Manchapani. And I I even understand that when you're a team that is grasping at straws to come up with who the best combinations are. And you're trying so hard to find line combinations. 
one that you know works, you don't want to break it up. But do you try Huberdeau with Michael Backlund? Is that an option that you could uh, that you could look at? For me, absolutely. You shouldn't. I say this respectfully because it was their absolute best line last season, and through nine games, it's been their best line this season. But I think at this point, you're willing to sacrifice what you have in Backlund, Coleman, Mangiapane to get your guy that makes over $10 million going. The singular most important player on the team, most important forward anyway, is Jonathan Huberto. Both in terms of investment, in terms of uh, ability to produce. I think you put everything on the table to jumpstart him and get him to a point where he's feeling more like himself. We heard all summer that, you know, his confidence is back and he, he kind of found swagger again, going back to last April when we did exit interviews and he's like, yeah, I lost my swagger. That's a, that was a telling moment. And he came back refreshed, rejuvenated, but it hasn't necessarily translated. So if you think Michael Backlund is the guy to, to jumpstart him again, yeah. absolutely. 100%. You put those two together. Uh, by the way, just wanted to, Let's give ourselves a, a, a big cookie. I just wanted to make sure <laughs> that you did. I, 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 you saw me like scouring through this computer trying to find it, and there it is. I, I didn't know exactly what was going on on the other side of the desk, but uh, I appreciate know. the effort. Uh, I'd think about doing that, absolutely. I'd also think about moving Kadri to the wing for a long stint, and not on a line necessarily with Jonathan Huberdeau, but maybe moving Kadri to the wing, which... Sounds ludicrous. You signed this guy to be one of your top three centers, but that's not working. If if that's going to unlock some offense a little bit for Cod, I'd think about moving Kadri to the wing. Sure. Why not? At this point, I don't know if there is a wrong answer when it comes to trying to get more out of these guys. Because if the Flames are going to do what they want to do, whether or not you listening believe they should rebuild or retool or pivot or go in a different direction, the Flames very clearly organizationally want to be a winning franchise and they want to be competitive and they want to get back to the playoffs. Well, they are not going to do that if Hadri, uh, Hadri, Huberdeau and Kadri continue to scuffle like they are. They just aren't. You cannot have that much of your cap being a middle six forward. Like, they are middle six forwards, what they are bringing you right now. And you can't have that with what they are making. So, if the Flames want to get where they want, where where organizationally their goal is, they need to answer this question. So, yeah, Kadri on the wing. Maybe you do go, like, I don't know, you can put Kadri on a line with Lindholm and somebody else, and you could do Backlund and Huberdeau, and now you've got two top centers. you got Lindholm and Backlund, and, you know, Rizicka comes back. Maybe you make Rizicka your 3C when cause that's he's he's better slotted as a 3C than he is as a 4C. Yep. Maybe you do that. And and you can and I know that people are so pissed about the line juggling right now. And I do understand that it can be very frustrating to see who the hell knows what my Twitter's gonna say on Tuesday morning when we tweet out the lines if they show them. Is it gonna show new lines? Probably. Magic Eight Ball says. Moving in that direction, Good probably. Um, so, but if you're Ryan Huska and your mandate is to win, which it is, he knows better than you and I know combined that those two guys have got to give him more. So, I know that you're not supposed to make decisions as a coach or a GM based on one or two players, but if Ryan Huska is making decisions right now based on one or two players that just happen to wear 10 and 91, 
I don't blame them because that's what's going to get the Flames a whole lot closer to where they want to be. So Whether it's possible or not, I don't know. But yeah, so Kadri on the wing, sure. Huberdeau with Backland, sure. Why not? I took the opportunity to surf on over to Money Puck there. Because I wanted to sort of relive. Are you going to throw the expected goals of the of the trio Huberto thing? Uh, no, of Huberto Backlund Coleman, which was used oh. 175 minutes last season at even strength. Expected goals 56.9. Not bad. You'd like it to be a little bit more. The issue is last season again the trio Manjapani Backlund Coleman. 67.8. Like far and away the best on the team. And it was top five in the league. Again, what is an expected goal? Talk to me about real goals. That'll be one of the responses. But it, you are in theory breaking up one of the best metric lines in the NHL to jumpstart Huberto. But I don't see, I don't see how everything isn't on the table when it comes to getting Huberto and Kadri going, regardless of what it is. You, you can come up with a list. You can bulletin board it. You can come up with 50 things from most serious to most ridiculous. At this point, I think you have to consider every single one of them because he's your most important forward, and Nazem Kadri is your number two most important forward. What about, what about, as somebody called out on the text line, what about a health bomb? Healthy scratch. Like, is that... And I, I don't would, think again on the list of things, it's on the board. Like I'm not, I'm not throwing that out. No way, you can't do that. The only worry that I have is that it's not received properly. You've got Huberdeau right now for seven more years after this one on the highest contract of all time. Does he respond the way that it would be intended to a healthy scratch? And that is why, as much as I. Can't sit here and say no. Like I, you, I would have, I would have in my younger days been like, no, that's ridiculous. You can't do that to a top player. Now I'm like, well, I mean, let's have a conversation about it. I don't, I don't think anything's off the table right now, and I just worry that it wouldn't be received properly, and thus wouldn't get the result that you're looking for. I, I know that New Jersey's gone down that road, and Timo Meyer and a few other guys have. Had yeah, that's fair. Timo Meyer's got a hefty time. contract too. I know that it's happened uh, a little bit. In Washington, I know Spencer Carberry benched Anthony Mantha or, or scratched him. I know Anaheim's done it. I know Zegris got stapled to the bench for a while, and there's been some healthy scratches there. But yeah, I don't think that you can write that off. I don't think if that were to come up internally, they could say, no, that's stupid, get out of the room. I don't know if it's going to get you the desired result, but again, I throw it out there as like, I think you got to consider everything right now as what might work to get this done. I don't know if I'm willing to go there, but that is, again, you make a list of every possible option alternative. That's one of them. It goes on the board. To your point of, does it get received the right way or the wrong way? That's that's on the player. That's not on the coach. That's not on management. And that would be a management-related decision as well. I don't necessarily think that that's coming out of left field from the coaching staff without some collaboration and consideration but it would be on the player but all of this is on the player you're making the money you have the expectation you've got to deliver on the expectation yeah 
to at least some degree of success. Uh, right now on the text line, which we'll dive into, uh, a lot of messages coming in about you know different line combinations, and honestly, none of them are crazy. Like people saying this one or that one, put this guy. It's like I honestly, I would not disagree with any of them. You know, if you're going to start telling me to put a defenseman at center and that type of stuff, there's one guy that, Rasmus on right wing. Nope. Okay. There used to be a guy who was really, really adamant that Michael Stone should play forward. And okay, well, uh, short of that, you know what? You want to make you want to make AJ Greer on Lindholm's line. You want to like uh, whatever. I don't really. I'm not going to really shoot down any of that. Um, I'll try to again. Since the program began, and since we hit hour one, our text line is almost unreadable. And I say that not because the texts aren't good, just because Volume. you start reading a text and then your text line jumps. So, like, trying to read them live, it's, it's not necessarily great audio, um, but because we just keep on getting more and more and then text jump in the middle of reading them, but I'll try. Um, this says... You're not going to get any more production from these two guys. Kadri's 33 on his last contract. Why bust your butt? You get paid anyway. Huberto's 30, making $10.5 million. Again, last contract. Why bust your ass? Time to dismantle the team and start getting picks. Is it possible, if this continues to go poorly, are these guys unmovable in every in, in, in every way of the word. Like, are there scenarios or are there mechanisms that would make them movable? I think the answer is yes. I just think you, it, it would be difficult. It would be a lot of retaining. It would be a lot of taking money back that you know, don't necessarily want to take back. But I think that the answer to that question is, Yes, they are movable under extremely certain circumstances. I don't think we're at that point yet. But for those asking on the text line, well, you got to trade them. I don't even think, like, I think you have to start wondering, especially if this team does decide to pivot and the cues continue to scream at Craig Conroy that this group isn't it. And... There are trades made for a Lindholm and a Hannafin, and we, we're talking about future-type deals. Well, then I think at the very least, you have to explore also what other type of deals you might be able to make. Is it just too, okay, thanks, Captain Obvious, to toss out the, well, if Wayne Gretzky can be traded, anybody can. It's almost the inverse to a degree of that right now with the... Uh the contracts, the salary that's due, the amount of salary that's due in terms of signing bonus, so on and so forth. I wouldn't love what the Calgary Flames would probably have to do and execute in order to move a sizable contract right now, but I don't think it's necessarily out of the realm of possibility. Not right now. Um, this says, I think if you healthy scratch them, They'll call their agents, and we'll start hearing anti-Huska Twitter rants. I think that's about one agent in particular, Mr. Walsh. Um, this says, I'd go the other direction and lock in the lines from now until Thanksgiving to see what you really have. That's from Mike and Arbor Lake. Um, this says, again, there's a ton of text that, so if I don't read yours, I'm sorry. If I butcher yours, I'm sorry. Do you have to try tough love? 
I'm a Vancouver fan, and look at Rick Tockett, what he said about his players after the Philadelphia game, and they responded, enough of this babying high-priced players. Uh, this says, why do Kadri and Huber don't need a message? They should be embarrassed as hell. Um, in the absence of a time machine to undo the bad trade and signing, fire sale trade to the Coyotes, retaining as little salary as possible. Well, in all fairness, auto, or pardon me, Arizona said they weren't going to be a part of that anymore, that they had done that enough to a point where they're trying to be more competitive again. So I don't even know necessarily if there is an Arizona alternative. Uh, this says, I disagree with the ice time being the cookie in this scenario. That works for a young player trying to prove themselves or when they're playing for a contract. Both of these guys are on the back nine and on what could likely be each of their last contracts. All taking away ice time from them does is make their joints not hurt as much when they retire. I say you bag skate the hell out of these guys and make their time hell on earth. <laughs> Okay, let's give ourselves a, a, a big cookie. Um, this says the first step in getting more from Kadri and Huberto is to take ice time, especially power play time, until they earn it. Also, every soft, lackadaisical, low percentage pass that results in a turnover should be rewarded with bench warming. Uh, this says, I wonder if Huska simply asked them to score. Maybe he just didn't say please. <laughs> The levity the tax line requires right now. Uh, this says every game they go without a point, take a day's pay. Don't think you can do that under the CPA. <laughs> uh, Ian and Cranbrook. Pat, short term. Huberto, Kadri, press box. Young players called up. At least they'll work to win and care uh, long term. And then Connie can ask if they both want to stay and play for their contracts. As well, work to trade or put on waivers. At least they won't hurt the team moving forward. Well, unfortunately... Huberto's got a full no move, can block anything waivers wise. That, that is his right on a no move contract. So that is not, uh, and so does Kadri. They both have full no moves. They have full veto power on everything and anything. Waivers, trade, they block. That is their right. No move clauses exist, whether you like them or not. Uh, trade Kadri and Lindy for Barkov. Probably not going to happen. You know, the number one center on the team that. You know, went to the Stanley Cup final, probably not trading their top five center. Also, just from a cap perspective, wouldn't work. I mean, if Florida was willing to do that, then I, you make it work. I, you'd make it work. Of course, Florida would not. Uh, a benching wouldn't hurt. I only suggest that because I don't think either player has been benched since joining the club. Uh, that's from Shubes. This says health bomb, get their popcorn fix for a couple games. The record can't get much worse. Jim from Calgary, bench them both. Can't do much worse, and it'll make a hell of a statement. Um, that's just a few of them. This says double shift them. Yes, it does say that. I just, I'm, I'm just going through all of the... Murray says scratching won't work. They already know they aren't playing good enough. This says get Anthony Duclair for Huberdeau. And again, I'm not saying any of these are wrong. This was a thought exercise, not a Pat is right, Aaron is right, or any of... You could have said I, Aaron is wrong. I'm okay with that. I'm comfortable with that. I don't think you are, and I also don't <laughs> think you're right. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I am fully comfortable with being wrong, but you don't know if I am yet is what you're saying. I don't know what the answer is. I honestly do not know what the hell they can do. I don't know how they do it. All I know is that they have to do it, or the decisions are going to be more and more clear for Craig Conroy about 
what they have to do going forward here. I, I, I do believe there's something to, to be unlocked in both of those players. It's just a matter of finding the mechanism to do it. Yeah. Well, there you go. That was a uh, lots of great stuff on the text line. Honestly, if I didn't get to yours, I apologize. I can't really describe how uh, red hot the text line is here on this Monday edition of Flames Talk. That's our look inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Hello, fans. Calgary Co-op has refreshed its membership just for you. Now you can shop, save, and win with the new Calgary Co-op app. Download on the Apple Store and Google Play Store. Flames Talk is on the air and streaming on the Sportsnet mobile app. Sportsnet 960 The Fan, Calgary. Well, the Calgary Wranglers just keep on going with their great start to the season as we continue along on this Monday edition of Flames Talk. Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers along with you. And it's time for the future of the Flames, brought to you by Oncolytics Biotech. Fight cancer by unleashing the power of the immune system. To learn more about how they intend to empower cancer patients, visit Oncolytics Biotech. Dot com And uh, as we do on Mondays, we say hello to the head coach of the Calgary Wranglers, Trent Cull, who joins us right now. A Wranglers team that is now 5-0-1 to start the season thanks to a pair of 2-1 wins over Colorado this weekend. They beat the Ang- uh, Eagles 2-1 in regulation on Saturday afternoon. Then the following afternoon, 2-1 in overtime. Coach, appreciate the time. How we uh, how we doing on this Monday? Uh, good, good. Thank you. How are you guys keeping? We're doing well. We're doing well. It's been uh, it's been a busy weekend uh, up in Edmonton for the Heritage Classic, and then uh, getting the uh, getting the intel from your group over the weekend as you were back at home. Tell us about a, a couple of two one wins for your group, Coach. Uh, it was just uh, well, it was exciting to be home. We we hadn't played at home yet, so that was a new experience for me being on the home bench, and so that was a cool thing. Uh, you know, lucky for us, uh, you know, with, with Calgary, the Flames being out of town, we got to use their room. They're very uh, uh, very nice to us in the sense of letting us use their facility, so that was great. And then for us, it was uh, it was nice to get a couple wins at home. What uh, what'd you like about the way your team played? I thought our, uh, to be honest, I thought it was our best kind of couple uh, structure games. So, in other words, you can see now in the American League, after a couple of weeks of coaches kind of uh, – banging away at their teams you know what I mean and now all of a sudden it's, it's not as loose as it has been in the, in the other weekends and uh, so I thought our structure was good I thought our D zone was good so they're pretty tight checking games I liked our game uh, on uh, Saturday more than Sunday just thought we uh, were a little fatigued looking for no not for any reason but just we weren't as uh, as hard on pucks maybe and, and maybe responsible at some points but Overall, uh, we, we gave ourselves a chance. Uh, I thought our goaltending was great both games, and uh, and that's why it was such a such a tight score. You uh, you take a look at the the scores of your game early on, Trent, and and uh, some of the different ways you've won. You've won some high scoring games. Here you win a couple of low scoring games. Just what what does that say about your group? How positive is it that your your team is finding ways to win in different games this early in the season? Yeah, you know what? I think that was an anomaly. What you saw there a week ago, we we put up seven goals. I mean, it was just uh, sometimes those games kind of take on a life of their own. And uh, I think this is more what you're going to see out of the Calgary Wranglers. I mean, we're going to be a tight-checking group. You know, we're not – 
I don't think we're going to overwhelm anybody. We're just going to be good in a lot of categories. And, uh, and that's what I thought that our guys, I thought they did a really good job last week in practice. Uh, we talked a lot about our D zone, about where we want to be in, in the league and, and where goals against are and stuff. A lot of things that so I thought it was some pretty good buy-in last week in practice. And it was nice for the guys to kind of be able to, like you talk about systems or structure that you have, but it's it's kind of what binds everybody, but it's also something you can rely upon. You know, maybe if you're not having your best night or your buddy might be, but maybe you're not, but mm-hmm. if you're all kind of playing the same way and connected, it usually works out pretty good. You uh on on defense over the weekend, Trent, you 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 don't have Jeremy Poirier, unfortunately, for a little bit here. Uh, you didn't have Ilya Solovyov over the weekend either as he was with the Flames. So there's two of your most important defensemen not in the lineup. Tell us about how'd you like uh the, the rest of the group and how they stepped up. Uh you know what, and thank you for reminding me, but yeah, you know what? Like like I said, both goalies were good, but uh Sam Jardine came in, Jonathan Aspero came in. I thought those guys were really, really solid for us. They came in as kind of like uh I'm not gonna say rookies, but like older guys who have played in the league and have some experience and they and they came in and did exactly that. So I think that was uh was key for our group, like kind of that next man uh up kind of thing and, and those guys rolled right in. And there was hardly a difference. I mean, of course, you're not going to have that. Solo's been playing really well for us and, and where he's at. You're, you're certainly going to miss him. But those guys came in and filled that in. And the other thing is you're never going to have that high-end skill that you have with JP. You can't replace that, right? So uh, we miss him. We miss them both. But it was great for the other two to get in, have an opportunity to play, and they played really well. As, as a coach, getting an opportunity to deliver the news to Ilya Solovyov about his recall to see him play a couple of NHL games. Just uh, take us through what that's like as, as the head coach of a player who gets that opportunity for the first time. Yeah, I think, I think we talked about this either a week or two weeks ago and that's the, that's the good stuff. I mean, we, uh, uh, to be honest with you, I brought Joe Sorella in because Joe's been working with him for the last three years and, I wanted him to be part of that, you know what I mean, to tell him that, nice. he, that he's going up because, uh, you know, he spent those two have spent a lot of time together, and, and he should be a part of that. And, and I thought it was really good. And then, uh, but you know, he's such a good kid, uh, Solo is, and he, he's a happy kid. He's got a great smile. He kind of lights up the room, and so uh, it was awesome. Just an awesome moment for him that he gets to have that, and uh, and I think it was just a good moment for the team too. The other guys were happy that he uh, he had that opportunity. That's for sure. Selfishly, selfishly though, how happy are you to have him back? Well, yeah, you know what? It's uh, he's he's one of those guys that uh, on, on our PK at this level, and also breaking out pucks. Like those are his two things that he does really, really well. And uh, it's great for him though to go. I feel I can have a taste. And now when he comes back, I think it's going to be able to sit down and say, "Okay, tell me your thoughts. Where can we get better?" You know what I mean? And all of a sudden now, there's more. There's more uh, knowledge from him on what he needs to work on to stay there. So I think that's exciting for him, too. We are in conversation with Calgary Wranglers head coach Trent Call. The Wranglers off to a 5-0-1 start to the season. He's joining us this hour on Flames Talk. It's Pat and Aaron Vickers. Aaron? Coach, you mentioned the high-end skill of Jeremy Poirier, and he was off to such a good start with seven points in four games. What are you losing without having him in the lineup following up on what was a really successful rookie yeah. campaign a season ago? Yeah, no, it's just I think that um, where you're at is you, it's almost like teams in the American League, you'll get those those high-end prospects. And, and what I refer to those guys is almost like they're like game breakers, right? JP is 
JP's a game breaker. You know, he's a guy who can really do something extraordinary, uh, and uh, and that's kind of exciting to have because you always know that hey, uh, you know what it was that we haven't even been to a shootout yet. But JP is for sure in my my three shooters in the shootout, and just how good he is, and what I've seen him in practice already. So, uh, but that's that's the big thing that, that that missing that game breaker, and he's had such a good start to the season, like you said. So we'll miss him for sure. From one game breaker, maybe potentially to another in your leading scorer and Connor Zari, what have you seen through six games? One goal, finally got on the board with a goal, but had nine assists and ten points so far for you. Yeah, big goal too. You know what I mean? Just like we're, just like we're saying about a game breaker moment. You know, a chance for a two on one going down the ice, and he buries it for us. You know, and gets that game winner, and uh, it's important for sure. And I think that. He's, I, I'd say, is growing leaps and bounds. Like, I'm just getting to know him, so I can't judge on last year or the years before that. Mm-hmm. So, But uh, he's that. He's kind of one of those guys. He's our go-to guy up there, and he kind of is a bit of a – I call him a straw. You know, he's one of those guys that kind of circles the drink there, kind of stirs the, the drink for us. And uh, I think he's playing really well. I'm happy to see him in kind of the league leaders. That's, that's a great thing for him. And, uh, and we still want more, of course, too, out of him. But – his line, especially those guys, the three of them, Postasol and and Schwint, have been doing a really good job. I liked what I saw out of Connor in training camp. It was the second straight year he kind of left me with a with a positive impression. But you're getting to see him up close from behind the bench. Does it feel like he's playing a little bit? Like he knows he's close, that he's on the cusp to to making the NHL. I think he's playing with confidence. I don't think uh, maybe if you sit there and think about I'm I'm close to getting there. I think it's more. I got to be playing. You have to be playing really well in the American Hockey League, in, in all facets, in every parts of your game, to make sure you're going to be able to even just fit in in the National Hockey League. I mean, it, it's a huge jump. So we want to make sure, and that's one thing I'll always say. No matter who we have, there's always things that we're working on with them. We want more from them because we want them to be as prepared as possible when they get a chance to go. What's next on his development checklist in your mind? Uh, for me, it's just uh, we, we talked a little bit about our sticks and how effective we can be on the forecheck, how we need to make sure we're closing time and space when we don't have the puck. And that's one thing I think with Connor, if, if he can find a way to work harder away from the puck, I think it will find a way for the puck to get to him because that's what we want. We want Connor with the puck because he's really good with it. And so that's kind of the focus for us right now. And also, too, just a little bit, I've been kind of moonlighting him a little bit on the, on the penalty kill. He's a smart hockey player. I've done that in the past with other guys, and I think that's maybe the next evolution. We're talking to Trent Cull, head coach of the Calgary Wranglers. Uh, when when you talk about moonlighting a player on the penalty kill, I'm I'm really curious about that. What what's the what's the purpose of that? Is that is that a develop kind of more even more defensive awareness? Is that what what goes into making that decision, and and why do you go down that road? Well, just first of all, it's it's getting a guy more minutes if we can. Like there's yep. going to be some nights where you get in penalty trouble, unfortunately, you know, and we got into that the weekend before, and here's a guy who's now all of a sudden going, could be four minutes without a shift, and so we can't have a good player like that not being on the ice, so uh, we want to get him out there, and because there's a high intelligence level there with how the the players are playing, then usually they can convert that, because they're seeing the ice, how players would play offensively, and they can adapt that to defensively, Uh, and I think that just gives them when we're talking about five-on-five and what you can do, how you can check away from the puck, then I think they're getting more of a realization of that if they have an opportunity to do that in the penalty kill. 
Um, what's uh, th- take us uh, or, or, or give us a look ahead for your group? You got two games on the weekend, Friday and Sunday afternoon at the Dome. You've got San Jose. You've got some good practice time. Set us up for the week ahead, and uh, set us up for what your group's got ahead of you this weekend. Yeah, no. Well, like you say, I'm not sure exactly who our players will be by the weekend because we know things are happening all the time with Calgary right now. But uh, for us. We've been happy with the group that we've had, happy with how they've been playing. And uh, for us, another week of practice, very fortunate. And this is kind of the the last one for us because November really heats up yeah. with our game played schedule. So, uh, And then San Jose, solid team coming in. And then we know how difficult it is. Teams coming in, like, they enjoy coming to Calgary, you know. And then there's always Western guys that have family. And it's also family comes here as well. So it's a big deal. Usually you're getting your best is what I'm starting to see when teams come to Calgary and play here on the road. Well, Trent, uh, it's been a great start to your season. I know that you're you're always going to be looking for more, and, and the standard keeps on raising, but 5-0-1, a great start, and uh, good luck this weekend against San Jose. Hey, thanks for doing this as always. We'll talk to you again next week. All right. Thanks, boys. Appreciate you having me. Take care. You too. Be well. That is the head coach of the Calgary Wranglers. They're 5 0 one that that team just keeps on rolling. Like, Bit of a wagon right now. They they were a wagon two years ago. They were even more of a wagon last year. And remember last year, if you remember Mitch Love telling us last year, he was like, I don't. I said to somebody, I don't even know if we're going to win a game this year. The way how poorly it started last year. Well, they're not off to a poor start this year under new head coach Trent Cull. Five zero and one. Couple of two-one wins over the weekend for the first two home games of the year. Two more home games this weekend, including that. Hey, it's a little hockey hooky on Friday. Get yourself into a 1 p.m. game Friday at the Dome against the San Jose Barracuda uh, and uh, 1 p.m. start. Those games are fun. We're going to be down there Absolutely, for Flamestock on Friday um, and see if the Wranglers can push it to 6 one Friday, Sunday afternoon for the Wranglers and Barracuda. The next two games for Calgary. Tickets are affordable. It is an affordable day or night out for the family. It's a good date. It's a good hangout with friends. The hockey is great. You know that. Um, and you get to see some of Calgary's top prospects. It's been a uh, Look, we know how negative it's been around the big team. Well, it's been a little bit more positive around the uh, the small team or the farm team. Not small team's the wrong way of putting it. Around the the baby flames, they've been they've been really good again. You get to peek behind the curtain a little bit at what's to come for the Calgary Flames in the future. And you mentioned Connor Zari, ten points in six games, nine of those assists. You got Adam Klapka, who I thought looked really good in training camp too, put a little bit of a push together. He's got seven points in six games. You got Dustin Wolf back between the pipes. You got Ilya Soloviev, who's returned to the team after a two-game stint with the Calgary Flames. Like, get out there and watch this because this is the next wave of the Calgary Flames. And that is our look at the future of the Flames. Brought to you by Oncolytics Biotech. Fight cancer by unleashing the power of the immune system. To learn more about how they intend to empower cancer patients, visit oncolyticsbiotech.com. Thanks to Trent Cole, the head coach of the Wranglers. I did want to... um, I did want to play this as uh, we try to make the last half of this hour a little more positive than perhaps the first half was when we were diving in on the Huberdeau and Kadri conversation. Um, Hey, we know a new arena is coming to Calgary. We know that some are really excited about it. We know that some aren't so excited about it. But uh, I believe Flames Talk and and Sportsnet 960, the only people who have been able to get a comment from Gary Bettman on the, uh, the new arena. Of course, that was all finalized a few weeks ago, and we know that things are moving forward and that we've got timelines and all of that type of stuff. And so 
it was the Heritage Classic, and the Heritage Classic is meant for the markets that are involved. And this was an Alberta Heritage Classic on Sunday night. And so the NHL at these events makes the commissioner available to local radio. So went and did Reed's show on Ched and then walked over and did our show ringside prior to the game. And, you know, we talked a lot about the 20th anniversary and most of the conversation was about outdoor games and just the spectacle and what all goes into it. But uh, we, we right at the end, I was like, commissioner, I, I got to ask you, like you've got yourself a, a new arena in Calgary. We know how involved Gary Bettman had been at different times in this conversation. And this was uh, the commissioner when asked about a new arena in Calgary. I'm pleased, I'm delighted, and I'm relieved. I mean, obviously, a new event facility was needed for Calgary. Uh, the, the people of Calgary, not just hockey fans, deserve a place where concerts can come and family shows can come. And, you know, Calgary is a major city and shouldn't be overlooked by rock groups and other events that have been skipping the city because of the building. And listen, whether or not you, you're a fan of new buildings or not, the old building was running out of its useful life. And so uh, yes. kudos to the mayor and the council and perhaps as most importantly ownership because, you know, Murray Edwards and his partners were committed to getting it done and it wasn't easy and it took a long time and so uh, I am most of all I perhaps grateful that it's going to happen so that was it was funny because you know he was he was I, I quite enjoy interviewing Gary Bettman now he's like he's always combative and he's like it's 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 fun I enjoy it I I can see why Rob Kerr enjoyed doing it so much and I know that Gary's not the most popular guy in some circles, and I know that this new arena deal isn't as popular in some circles, and everybody's entitled to their opinion, and there's really on this one, there's there's no wrong answer to it, but when I asked him about it, you should have seen his face light up. He was, did he jump up out of his chair like I did when you mentioned Solo for Solo at his debut? Derek Wills was right there watching the interview, and like his his face went from like smile and pleasant to like he was like amped. He's like asking me about the arena. I'm so happy about this. Obviously, as the commissioner of the NHL, um, you, you want your teams to stay put and you don't want to deal with relocation or any of that type of stuff. And please, believe me, I'm not saying the Flames are, are in danger of relocating. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I will say that over the last couple of years, as we were in that limbo land as to the last deal fell apart, and wondering what the new one is going to look like or when a new one's going to get done, I did start to wonder, like, what the hell happens if they don't get a deal done? Whether it's a good deal for Calgarians, a bad deal for Calgarians, whether you think it's a sweetheart deal for the owners, or whatever your opinion is, what happens if something doesn't get done? And and I was never worried really about, oh, they're going to move to, right. you know, our buddy Eric talking about moving to Houston. I wasn't worried about, like, I wasn't like, oh, they're going to pack up and move to Houston. It's like, what the hell are they going to do? Like, if, if the Saddle Dome is eventually not going to be a viable place to play. How do you problem solve this? So yeah. what do you do? So I'm happy that they do have a deal. I'm quite happy with it. I'm, I'm just very happy that it eventually is going to be replaced. As much as I would, you know, I, uh, I, I feel like I'm in a long-term relationship with the Scotiabank Saddle Dome, and, and I love it. But, you know what? Sometimes relationships have to end. And so it's just... I, as Gary was talking about that, he said, the place is coming towards the end of its useful life. It is. It's 40 years old. It's like it's, something had to happen, whether you love the deal or don't love the deal. So 
So I am happy that there is going to be a replacement, and we know that it's not going to fall apart in the middle of a hockey game. Well, this has been a massive project for the Calgary Flames, the NHL, and Gary Bettman. This has been on a Western Canada to-do list for Gary Bettman going back to what, 2008-ish? Like, when was the first initial conversation about well, replacing the South? Because it was prior to Calgary Next, which was what, 2020, pardon me, 2013? 2014? 2014? Yeah. It was... I want to say like 2007, 2008 is yeah. the first time that um, that Rob Kerr on these airwaves right. was, was really going down that road. And I remember sometime, I want to say like early 2010s or late 2000s, did this whole like magnus opus project on the air over the course of like two or three weeks where he just did like all kinds of arena interviews and talked to people in Pittsburgh about how they got that building built, talked to people in Kansas City about how they got that building built. And uh, we put it all together in like a 40-piece audio thing uh, online. And yeah, I want to say that was late, 2000, late 2000s, early 2010s. That's that. 15-ish years that this has been on his mm-hmm. agenda for the Calgary Flames in Southern Alberta. So you can understand that he's a little excited that he can cross that off the list and move on to something else. Uh, he is Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg and thanks to Cam and Taylor, our producers, that'll start to wrap us up this hour on flames talk. And this hour has been the sports drive brought to you by Calgary lock and safe, save $450 on the broad EV 5922 gun safe. Now just 1450 or explore the full line of safes at Calgary lock and safe.com.